So we'll be reading the first three verses of Exodus chapter 20, starting on page 100. It does continue on for one verse on to page 101. Exodus 20, verses 1 through 3. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. O beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, Today we consider the uh, third sermon on the first commandment. So we've already had two sermons on what the commandment requires. Today we're going to be considering the final uh, of these uh, three sermons on the first commandment. We're going to be considering what the first commandment forbids. What the first commandment forbids. You remember that when we gave an introduction to the commandments, we said that there are two aspects to each commandment. Every commandment prohibits something, forbids something, says no to something, and every commandment, on the other hand, says yes to the opposite of what you're saying no to. Every commandment requires something, commands us to do something, gives us our duty with regard to that commandment. Now, eight of the ten are couched as you shall not. So they're couched negatively. Two of them, the fourth and fifth, are couched positively. You remember? Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy and then honor your father and your mother. But however they are worded, there's always this this flip side, if you will, to each of the commandments. There's a positive side and there's a negative side. So, as we, uh, as, uh, we already have established, positively, the first commandment tells us that we are to know and acknowledge, worship and glorify, and obey the one true and living God. We're to know and acknowledge. We're to know who he is and then, uh, and then actually acknowledge him for our own. We're to know and acknowledge. We are to worship and glorify. And we are to obey the one true and living God. But today we look at what the first commandment forbids. It forbids three basic things. It forbids atheism profaneness, we'll look at what that means, and idolatry. Atheism, profaneness, and idolatry. Remember again that the law of God is all-encompassing. It is spiritual. As we said, whatever is commanded is forbidden and vice versa. And furthermore, all sins can fall under one or more of the Ten Commandments. So today then, what, is, what does this commandment forbid? You shall not 
have any other god before me. What does it prohibit? First of all, it prohibits atheism. Now, what is atheism? Atheism simply means denying the existence of God. We just sang a few moments ago from Psalm 14, in which the Bible is very clear. The fool, you fool, the fool is saying in his heart, there surely is no God. And so all those people who are atheists, and there are a number, we're an increasing number in our society who are claiming they don't believe in God. It's very unusual in American society, but we're seeing this in the last five or ten years. The the numbers have absolutely exploded so that we're probably looking 15, 20% or so people that are now denying the existence of God, close to that anyway. This is extraordinary. And of course, we all all know how well our society is doing as a result, right? Everything's going great, right? (laughs) Not. which again, there's a, there is a reflection of this. And even when people don't actually deny the existence of God, they act as if God doesn't exist. So they act as fools. They act as if they are atheists. So the first thing that it, that it forbids is that of atheism, denying that God does exist. If you ever want to hear a great debate, it's on YouTube. Unfortunately, it's not video. It's only audio. But one of my uh, professors from seminary, uh, Dr. Greg Bonson, absolutely wiped the floor with uh, uh, Dr. Gordon Stein, who was the atheist. And graciously, kindly enough, but nevertheless made it very clear that Dr. Stein did not know what he was talking about. So it's a good debate to listen to if you're interested in that. So atheism, number two profaneness. So let me define, let me talk about what profaneness means. Profaneness can mean to regard something as common or disrespecting. So disrespecting because of regarding something that is holy as something that is no big deal, as something that is common. And so profaneness then, particularly with respect to God's worship and honor. Profaneness, treating as common, disrespecting God's worship and honor. And the first thing we can look at in this regard is not knowing God, not knowing God or having proper knowledge about him. Not knowing God or not having proper knowledge about him. Psalm 50, uh, verse 21, God says, these things you have done and I kept silent. You, listen to this, you thought that I was altogether like you. See, that's the way we, we often think about God. We think, well, God's just a little more powerful than we are, a little bigger than we are. God's saying, no, no, no. I am totally other than you are. If I were hungry, I wouldn't ask you. Stop giving me these these sacrifices when your heart's not right. Like eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats. But you thought that I was just like you are. 
verse 18, when you saw a thief, you consented with him, have been a partaker with adulterers, you give your mouth to evil, and your tongue frames deceit, you see, sit and speak against your brother, you slander your own mother's sons, son, these things you have done. I kept silent. You thought that I was altogether like you. And so not knowing God and or not having the proper knowledge about him, thinking that God is just like the big, the big man in the sky, rather than the holy, infinite, invisible God. Or also being forgetful of him. This is another way in which we can profane him and his honor, being forgetful of him, a practical atheism. Not remembering to thank the Lord for our food. Not remembering to pray for safety. Not, not taking him into account with regard to anything that we are doing. Being forgetful of him. And so not, not saying we're atheist, but being practical, in, in practical terms, atheist. But there's another way in which we can profane God's worship and honor, and that is by hating God or loving him, loving other things more than him. Hating God or loving other things more than him. Now, there are very few of us, there are very few of us that would say, well, I hate God. And yet... And yet, when we don't have our priorities straight, when we don't love God with everything that we have and everything that we are, it's almost like we're hating him, isn't it? We are certainly not being consistent with our profession. I confess this myself. I am not what I ought to be. Neither are you. So it's a question of priorities. For example, nothing wrong with sports. I love college football. But some people literally have that as their, as their god or as their religion or professional sports. Fame. Fame. We all want people to think nicely of us, highly of us. Fame. Fortune, money, power, pleasure. None of us likes to be hurting. It's good to have a pleasant existence. But when you make that your priority, then there's a problem. It's profaning God's honor. Whether that be with regard to sex, or drugs, a high, alcohol, trying to dull the senses, not be filled with the Holy Spirit, but be filled with spirits, with liquors, so that you forget, so that you can dull the pain. Or even, listen to me carefully, even our family and our children, they can be priorities over God. What did Jesus say? Unless you hate your father and mother. You cannot be my disciple. I didn't mean literally hate. 
What he meant was, you need to have your priorities straight. You need to have a commitment to me, Jesus was saying, more than even your closest relationships. Whether it be family, tribes, clans, whatever. But there's another way in which we can show our love for other things more than God, and it is by doing what we believe to be wrong. Now, there are many times we do things that are wrong that we may not know are wrong. They're always wrong, even if we don't have a conscience about them. They're always wrong to do something that's actually wrong. It's actually a sin. (coughs) We'll be talking, uh, Lord willing, about the second commandment uh, next week. And if we don't follow the second commandment, even though we may be ignorant of it, it is still sin. Uh, But what's worse What's worse than that is not having a good conscience about something. It's like saying, God, I know this is wrong, but I'm going to do it anyway. How many times have I, have you done that? And you you start to do something, and there's something niggling in your conscience, but you go ahead and do it anyway. May God have mercy in this regard. And so hating God or having other things, loving other things more than him, and in that regard also in terms of profaneness, not giving to God the glory that is his due. So atheism, profaneness, disrespecting, treating as common God and the things of God, And thirdly, idolatry. This is what we usually think of when we think of the first commandment, the idolatry, to have another God before him. So I'm dividing this now into two types of idolatry. And so I'm going to be stepping on some toes this afternoon. I hope that's okay. I'm going to be stepping on some toes this afternoon in just a moment. So first of all, let's look at religious idolatry. First, and in that regard, in the first place, satanic things, such as the worship of Satan. Did you know that there is actually an organization called the Church of Satan? Did you know that? Out in San Francisco. Seriously. Literally, there are people who worship Satan. There can also be things that are akin to that, such as rock music praising the devil. Not that all rock music does that, but there is rock music like that. Actually, you look at some of the, some of the, the, uh, the rockers today. That's not satanic. The, the, the way that they are dressed, the way that they conduct themselves, I don't know what is. So Satan worship. Also, the occult, the occult. Look with me at Leviticus chapter 19. Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 31. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 31, where we read, Give no regard to mediums. You know what that is, like palm palm readers, that type of thing, than those who 
who uh, bring up the dead, and familiar spirits. Do not seek after them to be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. And then look at chapter 20, verse 6. And the person who turns to mediums and familiar spirits to prostitute himself with them, I will set my face against that person and cut him off from his people. So here we're talking about witchcraft. We're talking about magic. When I say magic, I'm not talking about someone like our grandson loves to do card tricks and fool us all with that. That's a trick. But you know what I'm talking about. Conjuring up dark spirits, that type of magic. And, of course, also Ouija boards and astrology. These things are definitely connected with satanic power. In both, there is a desire to peek into the future apart from God's revelation. But God has said, I've given you my word. This is all you need. Don't try to peek into the... Don't try. Don't even go that route of trying. That is knowledge that does not belong to you. And let me just say, Ouija boards astrology, don't underestimate the power of Satan in those things. Do not underestimate. You are playing with fire if you deal with the occult. And then in terms of satanic things, false false gods, false gods. Virtually every culture has its own deity or deities. Many times there are there would be a pantheon. A pantheon is an assemblage of the gods for concerted action. There is a pantheon of gods. So you have a whole bunch of gods. That's what a pantheon is. In the Bible, at least 12 pantheons are mentioned. And I'll just list these so you're aware of them. The gods of the Ammonites, of the Amorites, of the Assyrians, of the Babylonians, of the Canaanites, of the Egyptians, of the Moabites, of the Philistines, of the Greeks, and the Romans. The Bible, furthermore, lists at least 40 individual false gods, including Asherah, Ashtoreth, Dagon, and Moloch. Now, false deities represent a degeneracy, a degeneration from true worship and belief in one God, what we call monotheism. Now, the evolutionary theory of mankind is what? The evolutionary theory, you go into college, university, even high school, you may have heard this. The evolutionary view is, oh, man started out with polytheism and then he got more refined and went to monotheism. It's actually the opposite. Adam and Eve knew the true and the living God in the the Garden of Eden. It started with monotheism. There's only one God. And because of man's sin and because of the suggestion, not only the, the, um, the, the imagination of man himself, but also the suggestions of Satan, man all of a sudden comes up with this God and that God and the other God. And so... 
the the whole the whole scheme of uh, colleges and universities today, with rare exception, is this evolutionary idea, including with regard to religion. It's a false idea. Don't be fooled by it. Don't be a fool. Don't be fooled by it. The Bible, my friends, condemns idolatrous worship. As a matter of fact, the prophets mock it. 1 Kings chapter 18, you remember Elijah, the 400 prophets of Baal, when they were crying all day that God would, their, their God would answer them with fire to consume the, the sacrifice on the altar. You remember what, remember what Elijah said? Well, it's, I, I respect you because you have your own belief. No. What did he do? He mocked them. Go call your God. Call a little louder. Maybe he's sleeping. Maybe he's on vacation. Maybe he's occupied, which probably meant maybe he had to go to the bathroom. No, the Bible knows nothing of this type of respect for false religion. The Bible mocks it. Jesus confronted the false religionist of his day. And so the Bible then condemns idolatrous worship. Let us also note something very important. And that the it is this, that the idols were often a way of worshiping evil spirits. So even when you see an idol, a Buddha or whatever, you need to realize that even with the the, the pagans, it wasn't so much that they were worshiping the idol, but they many of them understood that they were worshiping an evil spirit behind that. And that's exactly right. So this is not something to play with. This is not something to be attracted by. It is something to reject and to understand that there is only one true and living God and that he has revealed himself in his word and through his son, Jesus Christ. So in terms of religious idolatry, there are satanic things. And then there is what we call nature worship, including pantheism, the belief that God exists in everything. The, 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 so, for example, some of you may remember the movie The Love Bug. Some of you may remember that. Some of us are old enough. And Herbie Rides Again. And Herbie Rides Again, what is it? It's, it's as if the Volkswagen has this spark of divinity in him, remember? And the, the grandmother there in San Francisco, wherever it is, uh, this uh, woke grandmother, I guess we would say today, and she was, she was saying that, oh, well, the jukebox has the spirit. This is, this is New Age thinking. This is Eastern mysticism. And it was, we already saw that then in Walt Disney in the 1960s, where Disney's at today is, should be no shock. It has, it has played with the occult, Escape to Witch Mountain, Bedknobs and Broomsticks. It's played with the occult for years, even Fantasia, 1940. And, but that's, that was one aspect of it, this Eastern mystical approach it says that, that the, the objects somehow have a spirit within them. By the way, you know where you can see that? Is um, <clears throat> go to the Atlanta airport. 
and go through, instead of taking the, um, the train, go, th go either walk or go on the walkway. I think it's between T and A gates. You know what you have there? You have all of these African, this African art. The whole point of it is that this is animistic. It's the spirit of the river, you see. It's the spirit of the river that has been carved into granite. That's animism. It's, anim it's an animistic approach in which it says there's this spark of divinity, that things that are, are just objects, that somehow they are alive, they breathe uh, uh, divinity. So, nature worship. And then also, in that regard, the deification and worship of nature. Much of the green movement, the environmental movement today, partakes of this religion. It talks about Gaia, Mother Earth. Gaia talks about her with reverence, as if she is a god. We don't dare harm Mother Earth, you see. Furthermore, nature is, often, nature is often personified. Mother Nature, Father Time, Old Man Winter, and so forth. So, in terms of religious idolatry, satanic things, nature, worship. Thirdly, the worship of holy ones. We know that the worship of angels is condemned in Scripture. Colossians 2.18 Revelation 19.10, where the angel says to John, don't worship me, I'm just a creature, I'm just an angel. Worship God. But we also see not only the worship of angels, but the worship of Mary and the saints, as in Roman Catholicism. This worship of Mary, the Virgin Mary and the saints, is built upon assumptions, including the, the ability of Mary and the saints to hear and to answer us. Hail Mary. The Hail Mary. What is that? That's crying out to Mary. That's worship being offered to Mary. Praying to saints, including Mary, as actually practiced, is idolatrous. Blessings are sought that only God can bestow. Attributes are ascribed to saints that belong to God alone. And worship, no matter what, the protest to the contrary is worship is paid directly to the saints. And so we have religious idolatry. And now we come to political idolatry. Political idolatry. And here I want to mention the state, that is the government, opposing the glory and the authority of God so that the state becomes the supplier of all from womb to tomb, from cradle to grave. We look to the state and blessed be the name of the state. The state becomes the ruler of all claiming, for example, that the children belong to it rather than to the family. Every, virtually, every major politician today believes that. Not all, but many, let me put it that way, many major politicians believe that. 
They believe that the children, that children belong not to their parents, but to the government. That's how, why do you think they are trying to, to say parents can't come or shouldn't come to school board meetings or shouldn't go into the school and find out what's going on in the school? Because for one thing, they believe that actually the children belong to the state, to the government, and not to the family. Also, trying to rule in the place of Christ over the church by means of taxation and punishment. That is to say, taxing the church or threatening to tax the church. And also punishment in terms of not allowing the church, even the institutional church, really to have its own affairs, like when the church uh, enacts various things and not allowing the church to operate in its own sphere of activity. But not just the supplier of all and the ruler of all, but the definer of all. The state assumes to itself the, the authority to tell you what is right and wrong. It even will tell you how many genders there are. Actually, it doesn't even know. It's three plus, apparently. Now, this is absolutely wrong. And the, the definer of life, when life begins and when it ends. And so, by being the supplier of all, the one that tries, the, the institution that tries to be all-encompassing to take the place of God and therefore the ruler of all and the definer of all, it at the same time promotes blatant violations of the law of God, murder. Not just abortion, infanticide and euthanasia sexual immorality and perversion, homosexuality, transgenderism, and so forth. And, the, and tyranny and the terrorizing of those who refuse to submit to the wickedness. That's where we're headed in this country. In doing this, the government does not recognize from whence all authority comes. It comes from God. The state has limited responsibility, not all-encompassing. But let me also say, in this regard, and here I'm going to step on some toes, possibly, but notice the danger of succumbing to this idolatry by the government. Notice the danger. Several years ago, there was a female author who wrote a book called In Trump We Trust. I would suggest that that's close to blasphemy if it doesn't cross the line. And so we cringe, I trust, at such a title. But we should also cringe at an attitude that would say, in Obama we trust, or in Biden we trust. 
or in Warnock we trust. We need to make sure that we are not supporting or voting for idolatrous politicians because they promise goodies and freebies. That's idolatry. We should not think that the realm of politics, furthermore, is somehow neutral. It is not. Every institution, as well as every individual, is either going to submit to King Jesus or rebel against him. Indeed, polytheistic government itself, having many religions, is itself an example of idolatry. We need to make sure, my friends, that we do not do the equivalent of burning incense to Caesar. We're pretending that we can have our religious side and then we have our political side where it doesn't really matter in terms of the law of God. My friends, Christ is king over all. And so, political idolatry. There are other examples in terms of idolatry. I mention here Santa Claus. Just think of what some of the things, some of the attributes ascribed to Santa Claus. He knows when you are sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. For God's sake, sounds like he's got the knowledge of God, doesn't it? But also gambling and the lottery. And I know that there are folks in this area, let's just say, in our neighborhood, who play the numbers. When you do, you are entrusting your fortunes to Lady Luck. Not only are you wasting your money, but you are entrusting your fortunes to Lady Luck rather than to God who gives you your daily bread. And so these are other examples besides political and religious, other examples of idolatry. Now as I close this message, I want first of all to note the significance of the term before me, before me. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Now, part of what that does, and this is, I think, the primary part, is it shows the awfulness of such sin from God's perspective. That is to say, we are forever and always before God. Even those who are in hell are always before the presence of God, but it's a judging presence. We can never escape from God. And he sees everything. And he knows us better than we know ourselves. We have no clue as to how horrible we are in his sight. And so it shows the awfulness, though, of of such sin, of this idolatry of having other gods setting them up. It's indeed before God. But it also shows that this sin is awful from our perspective, too. 
That is to say, in terms of giving up, or in terms of God giving, giving us up, but not really taking into account the fact of the, the presence of God. And so it's awful from our perspective too, like we see in Romans 1, for example, because we forget and we, we, we sort of know, we sort of know, but as Romans 1 says, we suppress that knowledge of God in unrighteousness. It's like lightning strikes in the middle of the night. It gets our attention, but we cringe and we say, no, I don't want this. I don't want God. And so the significance then of before me. In summary, my friends, this commandment demonstrates to us how bad we are. We like to play God. Our hearts, as Calvin said, the great reformer said, are like idle factories. We manufacture our own gods, our own idols. And we do not want to submit to God's rule over us. But having heard this word today, this commandment should drive us to Christ. My friends, don't keep trusting in your idols. Because as Isaiah says, they're like burdens you have to carry. Instead of God carrying you, you have to carry your gods, as we read from Isaiah 44 today. Oh, you take part of this and you... You burn it in the fire, and the other part, what do you do? You, you put all of your effort into making this, into carving this idol and falling down and worshiping it. How stupid can you get? How foolish can you get? Don't keep trusting in idols who are like burdens that you have to carry. But instead, listen today. Listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew 11. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Amen. We please stand for prayer. And Father, we do give thanks for who thou art and for thy word and for thy law, and especially for the Lord Jesus who has fulfilled that law. We pray, O oh God, that everyone here, all those listening, uh, will pay heed to this message, that it would sink deeply in our hearts, that we might renounce all sin and rebellion against thee and against the rule of King Jesus. We pray for the day, O Lord, when all these false religions will be seen for what they are, deceptive, demonic, satanic, hurtful, deadly, hellish. We pray, Lord, that thou wouldst be pleased to open the, the minds of people in our city here of Atlanta that is in many ways given over to all types of idolatry. 
We pray for our nation as well. So, Lord, have mercy upon us. Send forth thy Holy Spirit to convict and to convince, and thereby to comfort. For we pray in the name of him who called us unto himself and to take his yoke for ourselves. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Closing, please turn to Psalm 115, Selection A. And then after that, we will sing 119M as a closing doxology. But right now, Psalm 115.